You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for li- the views, opinions, and okay, content good. of the show. Oh, good, good morning, America. On America's Web Radio. Yeah, we're on, Heather. Good morning, America. This is Steve Mackey, your host for a veteran story on AmericasWebRadio.com. Uh, oh, do I have a special guest today? Heather Thies is the uh, Director of Education Volunteers at the National Museum of the 98th Air Force in Savannah, Georgia. I'm so happy to have her on here. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, well, this is the 25th anniversary of the museum. I think you opened in 1996. What are you guys doing to celebrate? Yes, we did. We are 25 years old, uh, which is older than most of the men who served in the 8th Air Force in World War II. (laughs) And, well, uh, what what we're doing to celebrate, well, you know, we had to change things up a little, of course, but we are doing all kinds of different programs now again. We've been doing a lot of online programs and in the middle of November, on the 13th, we are doing our 25th anniversary gala. So we're really excited about that and, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, keep on educating everyone about the legacy of the 8th Air Force. You know, the 8th Air Force will be 80 years old next January. Do you have any uh, right. veterans of the 8th Air Force uh, still around? Yes, uh, yes, we do. We actually uh, have the 8th Air Force Historical Society's reunion is here in Savannah actually starting today through uh, Saturday and Sunday. And so, of course, there's not as, you know, many as before, you know, when I started working here 15 years ago. But and many of them sadly can't travel. But there will be about ten at the reunion this week, and then we have a few who we are very excited about that are coming to our gala as well. So you know we still get World War II veterans coming in to see us. I need to talk to those guys. When is this gala? And when will they be there? Uh, they'll be here the week starting around Veterans Day on you know November 11th through our gala is the 13th. Okay. So it'll be an exciting time. Yeah, I'll try to make it down there on the 13th if I can. That would be great. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you, you have uh, tell us a little bit about your website that the folks can go go to to, to look at your uh, your Facebook and also your website. <laughs> we have many different, we've diversified our education so that depending on the different uh, platforms that people have or you are user or are comfortable with, they can find us on there. So, of course, we have our regular, you know, website, which is org, and eighth is spelled out as a word on our website. Okay. And uh, so, yep, www.mighty8.org, and that has a lot of our info on it. We also have a Vimeo page where a lot of our vi- videos are, and our vi- Vimeo, <laughs> not video, Vimeo is Mighty, the number, the numeral 8, TH Museum, as is our Facebook. We have Facebook at Mighty 8. Uh, museum and it's the number eight as well, the numerals. And then we have uh, Instagram. We do have Twitter. 
but we're most wow. active on we're most active on Facebook and on Instagram, and then we also have a museum education page that we are currently switching from being somewhat similar at the moment to our museum page, and we're starting to incorporate more education programs for, you know, adults that, you know, want to just learn a little bit more that may not be quite as knowledgeable, want some other types of things, you know, different types of books to recommend. It also is, of course, uh, geared toward students and teachers and educators of all types, and that is Mighty, the number eight, again, the numeral, TH Education, and we have both a Facebook and an Instagram as the education page as well, and then we also do have a Google Classroom, which is Mighty 8 Museum, and any questions that anybody has about all that, you can just email me at education at mighty8.org, and their 8 is spelled out as a word, education at mighty8.org. Looks like you got most of the bases of the technology covered, that's for sure. <laughs> Let me ask you this. It's keeping a lot, me young. A lot of, yeah, I know it. A lot of people listening in, uh, they may be interested in, in going to the museum and seeing the, the Mighty 8 uh, Air Force relics and whatever, but uh, explain exactly to the folks what the 8th Air Force was and did during World War II. Well, that is a wonderful, wonderful question, and of course, that is a very large topic, so everyone, I'm going to teach you about the 8th Air Force in a nutshell, as I like to say. The 8th Air Force started here in Savannah, Georgia, which is why the museum is located here in Savannah, and it started here in Savannah 53 days after Pearl Harbor, and it started um, downtown Savannah on January 20th of January 28th of 1942, that, so it is going to be 80 next year, and it was then moved over to England in um, February of 1942, and the 8th Air Force started with seven men, that's it, seven wow. men, and I always ask the students, how many, on our student tours, how many planes do you think those seven men have? Had. And there are, you know, some of them will say, well, seven, and some will say, you know, a <laughs> hundred, you know, and uh, the answer is none. The 8th Air Force had zero airplanes when it first began and moved over to England. They actually bought commercial airline tickets. I believe it was on Pan Am and flew the long route around. They took the southern route because, of course, it was winter down through South America across um, eventually to Portugal and then to England, and um, I always, you know, uh, the tour I give to adults is different than the tour I give to kids, so the tour, ki- the kids' tour is a little more funny at this point. I say, so then they, the seven men arrive on a commercial airliner, and I'm sure, the, you know, to meet with the Royal Air Force, you know, Bomber Harris, as he was known, and I'm sure they thought, well, where is everybody else, and why didn't you show up with your own plane? But... <laughs> Of course, they sit down, they start planning how they're going to, you know, win this war, and they start bringing over first the construction crews, of course, to start building the airfields that the 8th will need. We borrow some airfields from the RAF, the Royal Air Force, and the 8th Air Force, by the end of World War II, will be the largest 
most powerful air force on earth. It'll have um, approximately 100 airfields. It fluctuates throughout the war. Over 350,000 men, because, of course, women were not allowed in the regular military back then. 350,000 men will have served in the 8th and World War II. Sadly, 28,000 approximately will become prisoners of war and they're shot down. The numbers vary as to how many uh, were shot down and escaped and evaded, but it's about 5,000. And uh, really sadly, about 26, a little over 26,000 members of the 8th Air Force are killed in World War II. And to put that in perspective, the entire Marine Corps, uh, you know, who had some extremely bloody, brutal, awful battles and lost huge numbers during those battles, the U.S. Marine Corps loses less men in World War II than the entire Air Force. Eighth, I'm sorry, the entire Eighth Air Force, and that's because they started flying so quickly and they flew so much more frequently than, you know, the Marines necessarily had battles. So it was a really devastating war, you know, for the Eighth Air Force. You did not have a high survival rate, especially in 42 and 43. Yeah, I think the, if you make 25 missions, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and of course, the 8th Air Force's mission is to help defeat Nazi Germany. They're going to fly missions from England over Nazi-occupied Europe. And, uh, you know, they'll start their very first, you know, all-American everything mission basically will be August 17th of 1942, and they'll send up, you know, 12 planes and 111 men. And by the end of the war, with the Rosie the Riveters and everybody here in America building everything that the 8th Air Force needs, enough young men volunteering to be in the 8th Air Force in a plane because you are never drafted and forced into a plane. It was always a choice. You volunteered to go into training to be in any airplane in World War II, no matter if it was Navy or, um, you know, Army Air Force, as it was back then, um, you always trained, and by the end of the war, they're able to send over 2,000 bombers on a mission, that um, that 12 planes was 12 bombers, and then another, you know, 1,000 or so fighters by the end of the war. So, uh, you know, America really, you know, stepped up to the challenge and did everything needed to, you know, help end tyranny and bring freedom back to the world. Well, Heather, tell the folks, uh, tell the folks what kind of aircraft the 8th flew over here. (laughs) Okay, so the 8th Air Force had two types of bombers. The 8th had the B-17 Flying Fortress, and there were various different models of that plane, the, you know, F model, the G model, that sort of thing. Um, So there's the B-17, which has a crew of 10 men. Uh, By the end, it has 13 50 caliber machine guns on board. Then there is the B-24 Liberator, and the B-24 has a twin tail, the two oval tails in the back, and its wings sit on the top of the fuselage, connect to the top of the fuselage. A B-17's wings connect to the base, basically, of the fuselage, and they have that single tail. I call it the shark's tail. 
that sticks up in the back. So it's very easy to identify the difference of the two. They both have four engines. That's what makes them a heavy bomber, basically. And the B-24 also, uh, you know, would have had those 50 caliber machine guns. Then they have the fighters. They start with the P-38, um, the P-38 Lightning. Then they're And they're also going to have the P-47 Thunderbolt, which was, you know, kind of like a flying tank. It weighed a lot had this, you know, huge, heavy engine, a bunch of 50 caliber machine guns as well. I don't know as much about the P-38, so sorry, everyone out there. I promise, <laughs> I promise I'll learn more about it. But um, it is a twin-engine fighter, by the way, the P-38. And then they have the P-47, but it's just they don't have quite the gas mileage that is needed. They add exterior tanks, and that's really always going to be the uh, huge problem, especially in 42 and 43 in the 8th, is fighter coverage. They just can't go as far as the bombers can go. They just don't have those miles per gallon. You know, in some ways it's because the huge engine and, you know, this heavy P-47, uh, which, you know, could really just take a licking and keep on ticking as they, you know, watch at... Yeah, that, the P-47... P-47 was... It was, you know... P-47 was... Excuse me. P-47 was a good aircraft. But let me tell you what, Heather, we're going to a first break. We'll be right back. And then I want to discuss the the P-51 Mustang. I will. Okay, very good. We'll be right back, folks. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're back with Heather Thies from the National Museum of the Mighty Eighth Air Force in Savannah, Georgia. We were talking about the planes and the fighters of the Eighth Air Force. Uh, the P-38 was a twin-engine aircraft built by Lockheed. Uh, the Germans call it the Forktail Devil. Good aircraft. P-47 was a brute of an aircraft, great, great uh, ground target aircraft, but both of them did not have the range to uh, protect our bombers all the way into Germany, and as many machine guns as these bombers had, the B-24s and the B-17s, they still needed fighter cover. Uh, The Germans had some great aircraft interceptors, but along comes... The P-51 Mustang. Heather, tell us about that aircraft. 
Yep, that P51 Mustang is going to change everything. It's, you know, very sleek. It's, you know, often many people's favorite fighter. You know, they just love it. You know, and, of course, it's so well-loved. They even named the Ford Mustang after it from, you know, what I've heard. <laughs> but the P51 is a single-engine fighter as well, and it is just, you know, it's lighter. It's very maneuverable. It... um and it has a much longer range than the P-47, and it is really going to change everything. They're going to add drop tanks to it, so it has, you know, more fuel capacity to go even farther. And it's finally going to give these bombers the um, protection that they need. Because, you know, the bombers, once they're fully loaded, both the B-17 and the B-24, the B-24 can go a little bit faster, but um, but um, not not that much. It's you know like thirty yeah. to fifty miles an hour faster. So you know you have these hundred and fifty mile an hour, two hundred mile an hour. You know depending on how loaded they are, uh, bombers that can't maneuver to get out of the way. You know you have these really fast you know Luftwaffe German fighters just swooping in out of nowhere, and they we really the you know the Eighth Air Force really just needed that fighter that could you know chase down and shoot down the German fighters before they shot down, you know, these bombers, and it really changes absolutely everything. Now, some fighter groups don't really switch, and they stay with the P-47, and many of the top aces of the 8th were either just, were either just P-47 pilots or they were P-47 and then P-51 pilots. But it really changes absolutely everything. As I, you know, say to for all you, you know, lay people out there that are a little bit more like me when it comes to planes, I like to tell the kids, you know, it's like a tortoise and a and a uh, leopard. You know, obviously the bombers are faster than a tortoise, but you know, uh, those you know, those German fighters could just swoop in. They'd come in out of the sun, the clouds. They would just surprise attack. They'd go at the front of the formation, the back of the formation, and uh, or what was known as coffin corner, you know, the back tail. And, and you know, th- these poor bombers were often just sitting ducks. And so the P-51 changes everything and makes it, you know, it's never safe to be in the ace, but it does make it safer. And more people do start finishing their 25 required missions at that point. So, of course, what does the 8th Air Force do? (laughs) General Jimmy Doolittle takes over command. He is instructed in large part by General Hap Arnold, who is the, the, you know, general in charge of the entire Army Air Force, and they say, all right, now you're going to fly 30 missions. And then later on after D-Day, it will become 35 required missions for the bombers before they get to come and rotate back to the U.S. Wow. Uh, you know, the, the V-17 oh, yeah. is, is iconic for uh, World War II, yes. especially Ace Air yes, Force. Yes, it is. It, it, it is a sleek, good-looking aircraft. Yes, B-24 it is. B-24 is, B-24 is ugly. That's all you can say about the B-24. But it oh, has... Well, let the B-24 people hear you say that. Oh, I know it. I know it. The B-24 Liberator had... Longer range, a bigger payload. Uh, uh-huh. It was a great bomber, but it never got the recognition that it deserved no. because B-17 is so popular. But I will say yes. this: I talked to a 
Uh, there are still a couple B-24s flying, and one flew into Peachtree's Cab Airport one day for a show. And I mm-hmm. asked the pilot, I said, I said, how's that thing handle? How, 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 how do you feel when you fly that B-24? He said, it's like driving an 18-wheeler with 18 flat tires. <laughs> yes. Yes, but, yes. But it, it, it helped win the war. And Hermann Goring, the head of the German Luftwaffe, uh-huh. when he saw the when he saw the P-51s over Berlin escorting our air uh, bombers, he he knew that the war was over. He knew Germany was going to yeah. lose the war when he saw those P-51s. Heather, you have a weekly talk called Target for Today. Tell us about yes, that. Yes, I do. I have, um, we started it in, well, March of 2020. And it's every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we talk about, you know, various different topics. Sometimes I'm, you know, it's just myself presenting a topic. Um, and sometimes I do have guest speakers on. Sometimes I have authors. Sometimes I have, uh, you know, Eighth Air Force experts on a certain mission, that sort of thing. Recently, I had um, Sue Fox Moyer. Her father was um, on the second Schweinfurt raid, and so she is very involved with the second Schweinfurt Memorial Association. So she wow. uh, spoke with me about that the year before. I had uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Faley who spoke. I have, um, you know, I had the Castle. Mission um, Historical Memorial Society has talked with me about their September 27th mission that was so dangerous and deadly. Um, you know, to, um, tomorrow it will be an author, Steve Snyder, whose father, he wrote a book. His father was shot down and escaped and evaded, and he did a lot of research and, you know, kind of walked in his father's footsteps. So, you know, sometimes it's about missions. Sometimes it's just, you know, I did a whole series on POWs last September for POW, MIA Recognition Day, you know. Um, so, you know, I have a World War II veteran who's going to speak for um, Veterans Day. So, you know, sometimes it's, you know, a little bit more lighthearted topic, food of the 8th Air Force or, you know, um, and some of the POW ones are, you know, a little bit more they about, you know, it's, you know, not lighthearted because, of course, they're POWs. But it's about how they coped, you know, the foods they ate and created from the foods that they had and recipes and, you know, what they did to, you know, to survive. And, and then, you know, other different stories that people share with me and, you know, just topics that need to – and it just is very varied and – we do it every Thursday, and, you know, some of them are shorter, some of them are a little bit longer. You know, if it's an author, it might be up to an hour long, but then they're available on our Facebook forever, so you can always go in, um, everybody, and just, you know, check them out and find some of our different, you know, topics that we have. That's cool. Uh, as you're talking about Steve Snyder, uh, I had Steve on my show. He's a great guy. Uh, yes, he really is. He's really a wonderful, dynamic speaker, so he... Uh, you know, it was really great. As I like to say, you know, anybody, you know, a boring person can make the most exciting topic in the world <laughs> boring as dirt, and the most interesting, you know, dynamic speaker can make the most boring as dirt topic 
fascinating. So it is all in about, you know, your presentation and that kind of thing. So he is a his topic is both really interesting and he's a great speaker. So, you know, you got win win there. <laughs> there you go. You know, you mentioned POWs from Eighth Air Force. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked with a lieutenant colonel when I was in the Air Force in the 60s, and he had flown with the Eighth Air Force, and he was shot down, and he became a POW. And, you know, m- m- most of the POW camps for the airmen were run by the Luftwaffe, and they had it better than a normal POW camp. But yeah. the lieutenant colonel told me that uh, they just created their own activities, and one of their favorite sports, they they raced roaches. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't heard that one before. But, yeah, there were probably a lot of roaches, so. <laughs> and they had roach races. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, you know, you, uh, uh, Heather, you mentioned uh, the Schweinfurt Rage. You know, on August 17, 1943, uh, the 8th Air Force flew... Uh, a very historic mission to Schweinfurt and uh, Regensburg. Tell the folks about that mission. Yes, it was a dual mission to Schweinfurt, Regensburg, and it, you know, happened to be coincidentally on the one-year anniversary of the first mission the 8th flew, you know, using 8th Air Force, every, you know, American everything. And they came up with this plan to, uh, you know, sort of trick the... German Luftwaffe and the flak guns on the ground as well. They would, they'd never gone to two such very, you know, they'd gone to different targets, but they were all kind of in the same area or in the same, you know, kind of city area, that sort of thing. And so they decide they're going to fly, you know, one group's going to go to Schweinfurt, one's going to go to Regensburg. Regensburg has the um, aircraft industry. Schweinfurt has the ball bearing industry, which ball bearings, you know, reduce friction and that sort of thing, and are absolutely important to anything mechanized. So, you know, unfortunately, the weather kicks in, you know, over England. It's kind of socked in. They're not sure what to do. So they send out one part of the mission and then wait to send out the other part of the mission. And so it's just absolutely devastating because the, you know, and of course, at any point, the Luftwaffe always had the advantage and that they could, you know, go up and fly, land, refuel, and go right back up because, you know, they're flying over their territory, you know, whether it's Germany or occupied territory, they have airfields all over the place that they can just, you know, the Luftwaffe, the fighter, German fighter pilots can just land, refuel, and go back up, and that's exactly what happens. And 60 planes are lost on that day, so that's 600 men, because you have 10 men on each plane, and it was just absolutely devastating. The Regensburg group has to land down in um, North Africa, then, you know, they spend a couple of nights and then fly a mission on their way back to England. They do, though, what's funny is bring back some Tunisian donkeys, the most famous being Lady Mo, with the uh, 96th bomb group, I believe it was. And um, so it was a just a devastating mission. So then they fly... 
second Schweinfurt on October 14th of 1943, so just, you know, about two two months later, and another 60 planes are lost on the Schweinfurt raid. And so between those two raids, you know, it's just devastating. And the the, um, October 8th, 9th, and 10th also had these devastating missions. So that week is known as Black Week. One can imagine why. Heather, we're going to our second break, and we'll be right back, folks, in, in just a couple minutes, okay? Stand by. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're back with Heather Thieves, the Director of Education and Volunteers at the National Museum of the Mighty 8th Air Force in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Heather, you were mentioning and talking about the Schweinfurt raids. Uh, I was on an honor flight escorting some uh, World War II veterans to Washington, D.C. so they could see the World War II memorial. And the veteran I was with, uh, we saw a group of students and their two teachers looking at a plaque. And it was a plaque of a B-17 being loaded and a picture of some of the crews. But they had no idea what they were looking at. So we went up and talked to them. I said, do you know what you're looking at? And they said, no, can you tell us? So I told them about a B-17. And then I explained one of the Schweinfurt raids. Uh, Sixty bombers were lost with ten men crew, and one of the kids went, "But, but that's six hundred men." And the World War II veteran said, "Son, that's the cost of freedom." And the teacher said, "When we get back, we're going to do some research on the B-17s and the raids over Germany." So that was a learning experience for them, and I. Thank you guys at the 8th Air Force Museum for what you're doing to educate these kids. Uh, Heather, tell us about, um, uh, do you want to continue with the Schweinfurt raids or you want to move on to another subject? We can, we can move on and continue on. There's lots to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about the, the B-17 called the City of Savannah. Okay, well, we got our, you know, when they built the museum, General uh, General Buck Schuler, who was the commander of the 8th during Desert Storm, so, you know, he's just, um, 
This is not how he got his name, but he's just a young little buck, you know, in comparison to General Lewis E. Lyle, who flew with the 303rd and then the three was commander of the 379th and that sort of thing, who was our museum founder that our rotunda is named after. They really tried to get a B-17 and they just, you know, couldn't for the opening. So they cre- they made sure, though, our combat gallery was big enough to fit one because, of course, General Lyle flew B-17s. And the poor B-24 guys always say, well, we flew two. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, we flew at the eighth too, but two of the air, there were three air divisions in the eighth, and two of the air divisions flew B seventeens, and only one flew B twenty fours. So while more B twenty fours were built during World War Two and used, the eighth didn't use as many of them. So um, the B seventeen, so we don't, you know, if anybody out there has a B twenty four though, we are looking for one. So you know please just call me and let me know and you can donate it to us. <laughs> but our B-17, we've got it. Let's see, I'm fi- I've been here 15 years, so maybe 12, 13 years ago. I'm sorry, at the top of my head, I don't remember the date because, well, I got a lot of dates in my head. And so uh, we got it and uh, they took it apart. It's from up in um, Washington, D.C., from... Um, you know, the National Air and Space Museum, and uh, we uh, brought it down. It had been sitting in an airplane hangar for about 20 or so years, and so it was, needless to say, covered in a lot of gunk. To use a a layman's term there, it kind of almost looked like it was covered in maple syrup, but it was not maple syrup. It was a preservative to prevent any rust and corrosion, that kind of thing. So they began with, uh, we have a wonderful restoration crew. They're all volunteers, and they're just amazing. And what they have done with this plane, it is, you know, because it's not, you know, I'd already been, you know, I've flown in a B-17, you know, I was lucky enough. I haven't been in the B-24 yet, but um, to fly it. I mean, I have been in one, but, um, you know, they're, modified for people to fly in, you know, to pay to fly in them. Our B-17 looks, their goal is to make it look exactly as it did when it was flying missions. And it was named after the city of Savannah because the city of Savannah during World War II had a, you know, a fund drive, a war bond drive, and raised the money to pay for and build one B-17. So it was named the city of Savannah, in honor of the 5,000th plane to leave here in Savannah to head over to Europe because Savannah was one of the locations that they used to, you know, head off overseas, um, especially in the winter months. Up the summer months, it was more, you know, up in the New England area. And they flew, flew through Newfoundland and that kind of thing. But um, it is absolutely, I mean, it's just beautiful. They're not quite finished yet. They're working on the turrets. They're going to have them controlled by remote control so that, um, you know, when groups or special events come, it's easier for us to show and demonstrate because, you know, we will be doing that on Friday for the uh, reunion that's here, but it'll then be much easier. So that's an ongoing project that we're actually doing with some, you know, some students. So uh, it you know we're always working in what and that 
whatnot. And so we do have a B24 nose, and they're begin, going to begin re- working on restoring its cockpit and that sort of thing as well. So, Wow. Right, and the on the, the B24. Yeah. Uh, people can go to your website and see that B-17, the city of Savannah. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous aircraft. It is absolutely uh, beautiful inside. And I can say that I helped on the restoration and that I recreated for them a, there's like a, um, decal, a label, for lack of a better word, it's about 24 inches wide, so it's about two feet wide and maybe a foot tall, and it is near the ball turret, and it explains the ball turret drop instructions if you need to drop it. I recreated it. I meticulously researched the font and look and that kind of thing, so I can say that I have helped. All right. Uh, With the B-17 restored, and maybe some of the turrets working, do you allow people on the airplane? Uh, uh, sort of, occasionally. Okay. Of course, World War II veterans, yes, that sort of thing. Oh, but yeah, don't that. just, everybody out there, don't just think you're going to show up and be able to, you know, go inside. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, if one of us is down there, we can open the side door, um, because, I mean, I do have a key, and I will let people look in, you know, the side door, that kind of thing, or the front officer's door hatch down on the nose. Um, we actually do jokingly have the officer's challenge. You know, they we use a ladder to get in the front. It's, you know, the, vet, the restoration crew and that kind of thing, they have a ladder that hooked on as I believe they did, too, in World War II, but most would just grab the top of the door and pull themselves up. Yeah. So um, we were laughing one day, and I was like, I bet I could still do it. I used to love to, you know, play on the bars and all that, and I was shocked I could do it. I was a little, <laughs> more, I was a little more bruised than I would have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but uh, I did it. I was, it wasn't the most graceful, <laughs> but, so, yeah, we'll let people look in. That goes back to what you said. Most of these crews were uh, under 25 years of age, so they were they were nimble and they could do things that uh, people like you and me right now at our age can't do. But you yes. said you flew on a B-17. What did you think about flying on a B-17? Oh, I flew on the Yankee Lady, and I have to laugh because, of course, you know, um, as the director of education, especially when I first started, my whole job was, you know, taking student tours through. You know, typically it's fifth graders and eighth graders, but, you know, it's all ages as well. As we say, we'll, you know, we'll teach anybody from three to 103 because pretty much under three, it's, you know, we'll do a modified everything, you know, and 103 plus, you know, if you're over than 103, we'll still, you know, educate you. But um, so I'm like, okay, it's freezing in these planes. They don't have a heater, you know, it's colder than your freezer inside, kids, so, you know, I get the call, they can take you, there's a spot, all right, I'll be there, so, you know, it was, in. it was about this time of year, actually, and so I'm like, okay, you know, and in Savannah right now, it's, we've got a bit of our version of fall weather, which is, you know, it's 70 degrees, 
<laughs> so I layer on, you know, I, have a, I put a T-shirt on, I put a sweater on, I've got my, like, jacket. Now, I was born in Minnesota, so I do know real cold, but I haven't lived there since I was, like, eight. So, um, you know, but I'm, you know, piling it all on, and I'm there, and I'm so excited to get in the plane. Well, you know, on these flights, you're, you know, at 10,000 feet. You're not up at 25,000, 30,000 feet. So right. it's right. needless to say, not that cold in there. So, and then the plane bounces around because of the propellers yep. and the way it is. So, and then I started to get airsick. <laughs> so then I just start, and I'm hot, you know, of course, on top of it because I have way too many layers on. So then I just start taking all the layers out. It was very funny. But it really gave me a sense of what it's like. You know, they opened up the Bombay doors so we could see out. And it was, you know, it really changed my tour completely because uh, we did not have our B-17 yet. Um, yeah. when I got to do that. So, it really, Yeah, were you surprised at how slow it was? Yes. Yeah. Because, I, you know, uh, I was... Yes, I was. Yeah, I have flown on uh, two or three B-17s, but most of the flights were on the uh, B-17 used in the movie Memphis Bell. They call it the Memphis Bell, but it's not the original Memphis yeah. Bell. And uh, it always... Number one, it was almost impossible for me to get down to the bombardiers uh, site where the Northern Bomb site was because you had to. That's why you're young uh, in a B-17. Hard <laughs> to get down there, but uh, it, it was great being in the airplane. There were some other journalists on one flight, and there was a young lady sitting next to me, a female journalist, and they cranked up the first engine. And you know how it sounds: sputter and spitting, oh, yeah. vibration and she said, my God, those engines are loud. I said, you got three more to go, girl. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're all losing their hearing. You know, all of my volunteers, you know, I used to, when I started here, my volunteers, you know, it wasn't, you know, when the museum first opened, basically everybody who was a volunteer was a World War II veteran. Whether it was in the 8th or not, it was a World War, they were a World War II veteran or, you know, even a Korean War veteran. And then, you know, when I started, it was like we had about 25 or 30 who were World War II veterans. And they'd all say, what, huh? They couldn't hear, especially anybody who was a navigator, a bombardier, or the pilots, or the um, radio operator. I'm not, sorry, not the radio operator, the uh, top turret flight engineer. They were like, well, I can't... (laughs) I can't hear anything because the engines were so close to that. And, yes, they're so loud. I could get down to the bombardiers area, but it was, I mean, it's just, until you're in there, it's so small. And, I mean, our, you know, our city of Savannah, being that it's inside, looks huge. You know, and the wings are quite, you know, they're fat and they're wide and all that, which, you know, makes them fly great and all that sort of thing and you know every you know when you if you think about it we also have a b-47 which was used later on in the 8th air force out on the side of um interstate 95 and you'd think they're about the same size but if you put that b-17 next to that b-47 it would be so much smaller and then of course you think about the b-52 which we don't have one um, which the ace flew later and well still flies. Um, um, you know, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it was uh, it's a good aircraft. All right, we're going to have to go to our last break. Uh, stand by, folks. We still got a lot to talk about. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're back with Heather Fees, the Director of Education and Volunteers at the National Museum of the 98th Air Force in Savannah, Georgia. Heather, you, well, you were comparing the B-17 to the B-47, and then you mentioned the B-52. I flew on the B-52s uh, when I was in the Air Force in the late 60s, and you can look at that huge airplane, and it's like the B-17, though. There's not that much room inside. Um the aircraft is built to stay in the air and drop the bombs or whatever, but uh, crew comfort is a lot better than it used to be, but still still not that much room. And the B-17, I don't know if you know about this, the B-52 uh, today, there are no pilots that are flying the B-52 that are older than the aircraft. Uh, the B-52 is slated to last for 100 years, and when it retires... I don't know what's going to replace it because that is one heck of an airplane. I hope you guys can get one. It is, it's like the B-17. It is a gorgeous aircraft. Do you think you might be able to? We'll see. We have the um, – I mean, I've seen them before, of course, yes. But, um, but uh, you know, and I know a minuscule amount about the B-52 because, you know – Let's face it, World War II is a big war, and I don't know remotely, you know, you know, I'm always learning something new about it. You know, you can never know everything, as I say. You know, that's why it doesn't bother me if people ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I can't know it all. I'm not perfect. But the B-52, yeah, is just huge, and we have the top half of a vertical tail stabilizer, just the top half, and it's huge. And rumor has it, and I do believe this is true, that, you know, they had to put it in and then build, put the roof on on top of it. It's huge, and it's just the top half. So then next to it, we have a scale model of a B-52 with the same, you know, tail serial number on it. So when I talk to kids about it, they're like, you know, okay, it's big. I'm like, no, look at this tail stabilizer. This is just the top half. Now look on the model 
where that number, it's 60666. I'm like, so look here, there, and then see how much the tail stabilizers below that, and then the whole rest of the, and they're like, whoa. And I'm like, so basically it's as big as this building. It's as long as this building. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. uh, Yeah, over in Vietnam, three B-52s flying a triangle formation, uh, dropping mm-hmm. their bombs 30,000 feet. They covered an area equivalent of 475 football fields. Uh, awesome aircraft. All right, tell us about the Flags for the Fallen. Oh, the Flags for the Fallen is a wonderful program that, well, we were going to do in 2020, but so we started it last this year in 2021, and it takes place during Memorial Day. And Flags for the Fallen is a program that we place um, the 26,048 star flags, because of course in World War II, the United States had 48 states, so we placed 26,048 star flags star flags in our memorial garden in honor of the 26,000 members of the 8th Air Force who gave their lives during World War II, so, you know, who gave their tomorrows for our todays to honor them, and we have volunteers come out and help us place them, and then also, of course, help us bring them up because, you know, that's a lot, and um, people, um, we have wonderful, you know, donors who have sponsored Uh, groups of flags or, you know, a single flag and that kind of different thing. And it it is just beautiful to behold. You you can go to both our, you know, our our social media, our Facebook, and actually there's a video on our Vimeo and then, of course, on our website to see it. And just to see our memorial garden have, you know, all of these, Flags in uh, the Memorial Garden for over Memorial Day weekend. It's just it's just a sight to behold. It you know it gives you chills. You know for our opening ceremony we had a flyover from the Eighth Air Force, which you know does still exist today. Um, it's just unbelievable to see it, and to it really helps you understand how many twenty six thousand is. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, that's so a wonderful program to, for people to come and see here at the museum, you know, or to, you know, to come and help and volunteer. We've had people, you know, we had people come from Atlanta, North Carolina, Ohio to help us put the flags in, you know, in the ground. And uh, it's just, it's just beautiful. Our summer mm-hmm. campers, we had summer camp, they helped. You know, we had Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know. Um, it was just an amazing tur- turnout for his support for this great program. What a great project. Now, you you uh, give tours and you do a lot of schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the difference in the grade levels and the response of the kids at different grade levels? And how do the kids respond to seeing all this history? about the 8th Air Force? Well, you know, in Georgia and South Carolina in particular, in fifth grade is when they study World War II. So understandably, we get a lot of fifth graders um, for that reason. Because, you know, you can only, to do a day field trip, you know, you can only be, you have to be in a certain distance, you know, bus-wise. You can't, you know. 
Um, we also get a lot of eighth graders because in Georgia, eighth grade is Georgia Studies is their history program, and the eighth started here in Savannah, so this is one of their locations, and those are often an overnight trip, whether they spend two nights or just one night or three nights. Some schools do a tour around the whole state, and since, you know, of course, Savannah is the start of the colony, they do their overnight trip here to see a lot of the beginnings of, you know, the state of Georgia, and they, you know, come to this museum as well. We, get, of course, get a lot of JROTCs, but we get a lot of other grades as well, especially even we even get preschools, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. And obviously we tailor our tour to the grade level. And um, the response is always really quite amazing because, you know, eighth graders come in and they're like, okay, you know, I think of myself as that age and, you know, I would be doing the same thing. And most of them leave, you know, and it's a credit to our tour guides as well because, you know, you really have to, you know, word and explain things a certain way because, you know, you don't, of course, want to talk down to them. You want to, you know, get a point across, but you really have to kind of also relate it to something they can understand. And so they really leave going, wow, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, the preschoolers, we talk a lot about the planes. And we tell them everybody has a parachute. And, you know, we talk about the different markings on the planes and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, they don't get the um, how devastating the eighth, serving in the eighth was. They get, a, you know, everybody has a parachute, so if the plane breaks, you know, they all jump out. You know, we kind of do the, you know, they learn to count to ten, you know, and it's a little more, you know, lighthearted. And by the time they come in fifth grade, they get the, we start to give them more of the, you know, it was it was brutal and scary and it needs to be remembered and honored and this is what happened and why and, you know, and then we can just continue on from there. So we do tailor our tours to the grade level, and obviously we don't, you know, talk to a four-year-old the way we would a 14-year-old. Or yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. By the way, now, we've had this pandemic for, what, 15 years <laughs> or something like that? How, it how feels like have, it. <laughs> how did you handle things uh, for the last year and a half at the museum? Um, well, of course, we closed. For the spring of 2020, like many did, but we we are lucky in that our museum is huge. We are 90,000 square feet, and a huge part of that 90,000 is exhibit space. Our ceilings are, you know, really really high. There's very, you know, there's certain spots in the museum where the rooms are a little bit smaller and that kind of thing. But, you know, you can really, if you can't spread out and social distance in this museum, then you know that's your fault, not ours. It's huge. So we reopen we reopened in um on Memorial Day of twenty twenty. And you know, it was a slower start. We changed our hours a little bit. We're closed on Mondays. We used to open at nine and now we open at ten and we're open from ten to five. Monday I'm sorry, ten to five, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday we're open from noon, so twelve to five. And closed on Monday so we can, you know, clean and fix things up and that kind of thing. And, you know, this year, 2020, has been a, you know, of course, we're not back to normal, but we are, you know, visitorship this summer was much more up, you know, since people were vaccinated and willing to, you know, get out there. But, you know, you can really spread out in this museum. 
if you want. We have, you know, we added air purifiers in our mission experience films, which are smaller rooms so that it cleans out the air. We've got, of course, hand sanitizer stations everywhere. But you can really spread out in this museum and still, you know, get a, get yes. a good experience here. That, that, that sounds very sanitary. Let me ask yes. you this. That B-17, the city of Savannah, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous aircraft. What do the younger, yeah, when the younger kids come in there and they see that bomber, what is their reaction? (laughs) They all go, whoa, wow. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter what age they are. Even the eighth graders who are, you know, trying to be all, you know, I'm in eighth grade and I'm cool and I'm not, you know, going to show too much emotion about anything. They're just like, you can see it in their eyes, even if they don't go, whoa. They're thinking, wow, look at that thing. Because, you, know, you know, it's amazing how many kids have not been on a plane. So sometimes this is the closest they've been to one. Um they're just in awe. Now, you know, I talk about the, you know, the propellers and what and that have what have you. So when, you know, we do a, you know, we go 360 degrees around the plane, they're really, you know, of course, their favorite person to talk about is, of course, the ball turret gunner and how he sits up in there. And I have them all, you know, we, you know, I have them all, I sit down on the floor with them and I'm like, all right, now scrunch up in a ball like that. All right, now put your head between your knees. You know, that's how you're sitting for, you know, eight hours sometimes and they're like whoa and I'm like you know Ooh, wait pretend you got a cramp wait but you can't stretch your leg out oh well and they're like whoa um <laughs> you know and the fact that it's colder than a freezer because you know if you're from Georgia and you've never left you don't know what true cold is um you know and even I've forgotten you know um and then um you know I always tell them you know they gave the planes a name, you know, because it was good luck, but it, you know, it also bonded the crew and that kind of thing. And, you know, every plane has a personality like a person. You know, some are thirstier and the engines like more oil. Um, some, you know, are not morning engines. They don't like to crank up in the morning. You know, that they're persnickety and they all laugh. Well, and it's funny. With, Heather, with engines like that, all you do is throw some coffee on them. And, and they want to <laughs> yeah, so I, and they're like... Uh, uh-huh. I am sorry to interrupt you, but oh, it is we, we, oh, we have to conclude the show. And thank you so much. It's been a great, great <laughs> interview. And we are going to do a show from the 8th Air Force Museum in Savannah, Georgia. Okay? Definitely. Uh, and I'll have our B-17 restoration head talk with you. That'll be great. Okay, folks, I Georgia, love it. go visit the museum in Savannah, Georgia. Tribute to the Mighty 8th Air Force. Talk to you next week, folks. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.